Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. Today's podcast episode is coming to you basically two weeks after the last podcast that came out on August 3rd, and in that time, a lot has happened. And usually, at this point in the season, in training camps, you don't want a lot going on around your team. You'd like to have a nice, quiet camp, people playing well. It'd be nice to hear about a few players maybe popping, playing really good in training camp, but that's about it. Nice, quiet, safe, healthy training camp. And from the last podcast, on the 3rd, everything was going well. We had like one of the healthiest teams we could have and it was a very very nice start but we knew eventually something was going to happen something was lurking in the darkness and the first big one hit Makai Becton goes down with a new knee injury a knee fracture going to keep him out for the entire year he was put on IR today in one of the Jets uh, training camp moves to cut the roster down from 90 to 85 they moved him cut four other players and uh, yeah he was a very very important player first round pick from a couple years ago that we haven't even get to see really shine in this offense yet so that's a huge bummer but we made a move to try to counter that a little bit to keep the offensive line in decent shape. And then from there, we play a preseason game and go figure. The second drive of the game, Zach Wilson, after throwing an interception on his first drive, second drive, tries to play a little bit of hero ball, I guess. Wasn't too upset with the decision, but he hurts his knee. We're worried that it's the same injury as last year. He had a PCL on that knee, and then he goes down, limps off the field, fan bases and absolute pandemonium. It was a nightmare, and uh, we basically find out that he's out two to four weeks, but it's taken away from all the other stuff that's going on in training camp. Some people are having really good camps. Um, there's guys that are working their way back into football shape, guys that are getting healthy, guys that are making big plays in the preseason game, lining themselves up for big opportunities this season, and trying to avoid cutdowns. Right? We had a cutdown today. We have another one in a week on the 23rd. We got one on the 30th to go down to 53. And these players are trying to make the roster, and it's a very deep unit talked about it last podcast how many different players there are in all these different position groups and how a lot of guys really do have a chance to make the roster if they play well and that's kind of been taken away from with all these injuries so I am going to talk about Makai Becton I am going to talk about Zach Wilson and some of the signings and transactions the Jets have made in the past week or two but I also want to talk about the Jets Eagles game and then do some updates on each position group through training camp battles because I think those things are still very important we can't just get lost on two players that are out and just talk headlines we got to talk about What's going on? Because one way or another, 53 dudes are going to play for this Jets team. 
16 more on the practice squad, and we got to find a way to win as many games as possible to keep a good coach in Robert Sala and a good GM in Joe Douglas to keep their jobs because now you're starting to get people say that if they don't play well this year, if the Jets completely implode, then those two guys could be on the chopping block. You think to yourself, like, oh, my God. And we're already starting off behind the eight ball with uh, a couple of these serious injuries. But we will talk about all that stuff. I still remain optimistic. I think this team can be just fine. Joe Douglas and Robert Sala know what they're doing, and some of the players are starting to look really good. But before we kick off here, I need to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. The podcast title is Gang Green Nation Podcast. The series title is This Is The Jet Life. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. If you could, like, re- give a review, give a rate, something like that to the podcast just to uh, boost it up a little bit, let me know that you're listening and help uh, improve the brand a little bit. You know, maybe, who knows, one day get some more funding for this thing, get a producer on here, somebody doing some uh, visual effects, maybe some, like, green strobes or something as I'm recording. All that stuff potentially in play if we get enough reviews, ratings and stuff, and enough positive feedback from the world that could be... On the horizons. You never know. Crazier things have happened. I digress. Let's get into this podcast. Let's start with news and notes around this New York Jets team. None bigger than Zach Wilson. It was the second drive of the preseason game against the Philadelphia Eagles. His first drive, he throws an interception to Kazir White. Not a good read, but it's early in preseason. Whatever. We'll let it slide right now and say it was just a mistake. It's a little bit of rust showing off there. A little bit of nerves, perhaps, playing in a game as well. Second drive... He's trying to run, um, tries to do a juke move, pops off that right knee a little bit, lunges forward, and nobody touches him. It's a non-contact injury. He goes down, limps off the field. The trainers have to come out, and all of a sudden, Twitter goes nuts because, of course, it's the same knee as last year that he had the PCL injury. And then there's a couple knuckleheads on Twitter that claim they know what's going on, Um, David Chow being one of them. I will say him specifically because he created a certain amount of unrest pretty early on by saying it was an ACL tear and Zach Wilson would be out for the season. He said this because he used to be a team doctor for, I think it was like the Chargers a bunch of years ago, and now he's got some website where he's trying to do a quick little cash grab sitting on his couch posting about injuries and whatnot, saying, oh, this is what I see. This is what it looks like to me. My dad right away texts me, and he goes, that does not look like an ACL to me at all. He sends me a picture of the knee. He goes, look at the knee and the leg. It's straight right there. This is probably a hyperextension or a sprain. Obviously, we find out now today that it was a bone bruise, a meniscus tear. He's already had surgery. Projected to be out two to four weeks. He's got to recover from the bone bruise. They uh, snipped part of his meniscus off. They trimmed it. And once he recovers from that, he should be in good shape. It's not the PCL. Definitely not an ACL. Definitely not out for the season. But what ensued in Jets Twitter world, every single blog site, Gang Green Nation was going crazy. Everyone was was just losing their mind. Everyone was saying the Jets fan base or the Jets team itself is cursed. Um, a number of different things. Negativity all over the place. And now we're sitting here today finding out about a two- to four-week injury that was officially good news as he had his surgery. They looked at it, arthroscopic uh, surgery, and they took a peek at what was going on inside the knee. There was not more damage than they originally thought, so he's going to be on that two- to four-week window. But we're thinking that's good news now because we were originally told out for the season and we expected the worst and then thought about what life would be like with Jimmy Garoppolo or Joe Flacco or Mike White. And... It's a real shame because this is a bummer. Zach Wilson was playing pretty well in camp, learning, getting better this year, growing confidence, and now he's missing some preseasons, some key practices in training camp, and then he might not be ready for week one also. And, you know, selfishly, I want to see that 4,000-yard quarterback season from the Jets. 
I want to see a 30 touchdown, 4,000 yards. One of those big seasons that we haven't had. We haven't had a 4,000-yard passer since Joe Namath. And I know it doesn't matter. I know that it's all about winning. It's all about growth and everything. But still, like, that Ryan Fitzpatrick year where the Jets didn't make the playoffs was way more fun than other Jets seasons when they went 10-6 and six, where they did or didn't make the playoffs just because the way they were throwing the ball around and the way the offense was clicking and rolling each Sunday, big plays, splash plays, it was cool. The Jets haven't gotten back to that. I'm hoping that Zach Wilson can be that guy. But then right away, okay, potentially misses the first week. The second week, it's like we're starting a leg behind already. I can already see the conversations at the end of the year, like, oh, he only threw for this many yards. Oh, but he didn't play a full season. Well, that's because he's injury. It's just like get the negativity out of here. Can we just play a nice, clean slate, 17 games? We don't know if he's going to be ready for week one against the Ravens yet. Right now, my assumption would be that it's going to be Joe Flacco week one. I think that it's probably a two- to four-week window. I would say give Zach Wilson the full amount of time that he needs to be 100% ready, and then he should probably have one full week of practice before going back out there. He shouldn't just be like, all right, he's ready, get him on the field. Now, he should probably get back into shape, get the rust off a little bit so he doesn't make more of those Kazir White interception mistakes. In the meantime, rest, study, be there with the team, pay attention to what they're doing, learn the playbook, prep mentally for the Ravens game just like the rest of the team as if you were playing, just in case maybe you do. And uh, we'll see what they do from there. So the options will be Joe Flacco in that game or Mike White. Chris Traveller had a nice little showing in the first preseason game. So he's sticking around on the roster. You never know if he could potentially one day be a dark horse candidate to start a game for the Jets. But for week one right now, the only guy that you could realistically see taking that role would be Joe Flacco. And at the end of the day, Joe Flacco week one versus the Ravens instead of Zach Wilson week one versus the Ravens is not that much of a difference. It's nowhere near as exciting. It doesn't have the same progression, the same hope, the same value to a fan. But for a team overall to try to get through a week, Joe Flacco is absolutely a fine spot starter. That's what he's here for. If you told me Zach was out for the season and it was going to be 17 weeks, I would say Joe Flacco is absolutely not the right guy. But for one to two weeks, I definitely think he can do it. He's done it for us before. And if it's not him, you go one deeper to Mike White, who doesn't throw the ball downfield, isn't the flashiest quarterback option, but at least he's got some sort of confidence. He's played in games before. It's not like throwing these Bryce Petties and Brooks Bollingers and these dudes that the Jets have thrown out in the past that are just absolutely no business playing football whatsoever. Like, at least they have legitimate players out there. Spot starts. Get Zach Wilson back. Everything will be okay. If he just comes back sooner than later, rests up, no more injuries, let's get through the season, and we're back on track the way we should have been. The next guy, Mekhi Becton, the other big injury, this one not so good because he had a, what is it called, an avulsion fracture in the right knee, which is a a different injury than what he had last year, but it's going to take him out for the entire season this year. He's officially on IR. Now, Mekhi Becton was about to be a very key cog in the Jets' offense, mostly because that run-blocking dominance that he has, the ability to get out there and absolutely pummel people, maybe even hit a second guy in the second layer, get out in front of a running back and let us run that wide zone offense, running outside behind him, was going to be awesome. We were moving him to the right side. George Fant was going to be on the left side where he played better last year. AVT moved over with Mackay, who had been next to him for those couple games last year, or, you know, the training camp in that one game last year. And then Lakin Tomlinson on the left next to George Fant. Everything was looking good. In fact, with Mackay Becton and Zach Wilson's two injuries, I went back to the last time we got a father time submission, which was the May episode. I think it was uh, like a draft recap or something. 
uh, before I took my little vacation over the summer, my little hiatus, my dad in his father time wrote, but in reality, the success of this upcoming season on offense rests on two players. The first one, of course, is Zach Wilson. Went on to write about that. New paragraph. The other is Mackay Big Ticket Becton. The whole substance of the last father time that we got from my dad was basically saying that the offense comes down to two guys, Mackay Becton and Zach Wilson, and we haven't even gotten past the first week of the preseason games here with the Jets, and we've got two injuries, and those are the two guys. So obviously not what you'd want to see at this point in the season, but... Mackay Becton was never to be counted on to play 17 games. He never was. I said if he could play, like, honestly, if he could play, like, 10 to 12 games, I think that would be considered a success for him, considering what he's done so far. He's going to be three years into his career. will have played 15 total games. It's an average of five a year. He played a handful the first year. Played a couple last year coming back. trying. It was just, like, it's not what you want to see. And uh, I don't know if his career with the Jets is going to be over. I don't see them picking up his fifth-year option because he's never healthy, so why would you ever do that? Even if he came back next year and was healthy, which how could he be on those knees and be healthy for 17 games again? I didn't think he could do it this year. I think he's even less likely to be able to do it next year. I'm still rooting for him. I still think he should come back and try to be a competent offensive tackle in the league, but you can't be giving him some, like, $12 million team option price tag, and he's guaranteed to make money from the Jets for the next two seasons because he, when he signed with the Jets as a rookie, he got four years fully guaranteed $18 million getting about $5 million a year for these last two years. That's what the cap hit is. And so we're going to pay him that. So we're going to pay him this year. We're going to pay him next year as well, and hopefully he can play healthy. But from there, who knows? Time to start looking in other directions. And we went in a little thin at offensive tackle in the draft and in free agency and everything. We left the thing with, like, all right, it's George Fant and Mekhi Becton, who this is kind of risky right now. We don't have Morgan Moses anymore. We drafted Max Mitchell, but he's coming from a very small school, playing from the Sun Belt Division, which is like, uh, we don't have a lot of options here. Then you get this injury right away. So what does Joe Douglas do? He does the only thing you can do, the best thing you can do, which is sign the best free agent offensive tackle on the market. That was Dwayne Brown, who had been showing interest in the Jets and actually attending some of our training camp practices before the Mekhi Becton injury because we knew that we would need a tackle at some point. We wanted to see if he would be a right scheme fit for us, the right teammate for this team, if he was interested in being here with this unit in this style of offense. Then Mekhi Becton goes down. George Fanson will banged up. They have to do something. So Dwayne Brown, 37 years old when the season starts. He's about to turn 37, I think. It's like August 30th. Um, obviously not the age you're looking for in a player. Doesn't have a huge future with this team. But they signed him to a two-year, $22 million contract that is pretty confusing because it's got three void years, essentially being able to lower the salary cap that he's on the the cap hit that he's got for this year, the cap hit for next year as well. But there is dead money assigned to him. So if they cut him next year, probably going to have to pay him like $6 million if he's not on the roster next year. And uh, they would save like $5 million. And then after that, they got those void years. So it's a little... A little messy, a little confusing, but they did what they had to do to get this guy on the team, and I think his price tag went up a little bit when we had the injuries because he's like, all right, you're going to have to sign me now, so pony up. And he's coming to a team that probably will not be winning many games, right, at age 37. This is probably like his last little stint in the NFL most likely, and he's doing it on a team that probably won't be playing playoff games, not competing for a Super Bowl, so he's really doing it as a favor to Joe Douglas to make that money and, you know, to help these guys along because he knows that we're screwed. And he saw it and he's like, yeah, I'll come help you guys out. But you're going to have to pay me. So I think it's a fair transaction from both sides. But he's a five-time Pro Bowler. 
He was a first-team All-Pro once, a second-team All-Pro two times. He started every single game for the last two seasons. He's only missed four games in the last four seasons, so he's been reliable. That's like from age 33 on, he's been playing every single game, which is not something you'd expect. So the guy's built a little bit different. The thing about him is he only plays left tackle, doesn't play right tackle. Left tackle's where we were going to play George Fant, who was coming up on a contract year, improving his stock, playing better on the left side this last year, better than the year before when he played on the right side. Um, also, left tackles get paid more, so I think he was happy in that spot. It created a little bit of a mess, but inevitably the Jets decided to put Dwayne Brown at left tackle where he belongs. George Fant will play right tackle. This is the same tackle combination that the Seahawks had when George Fant and Dwayne Brown were both there. So they've played on an, on an offensive line at these positions together. I wouldn't say that the Seahawks had the best offensive line in the world, but uh, it's doable. And when you lose Mekhi Becton, you have to find something. And there weren't many options. And on the roster, there weren't many options. Max Mitchell hopefully can progress. Chuma Odoga doesn't have the strength, but maybe he's getting a little bit better. Either way, we still have good players in AVT, Connor McGovern, and Lakin Tomlinson in the middle. So it's not all shot. Good quarterback decision-making. Great running backs. This whole thing can still work. I like the Dwayne Brown signing. See what we can do with him. Some other transactions for the New York Jets. We signed offensive guard Caleb Beninok. He was with the Bucks. Not very good. Probably won't make the roster. We also signed offensive guard Chris Glazer, an undrafted free agent, practice squad type of guy who was, I think, with the Chiefs. Um, he's also probably not going to make the roster, but another guy to bring into camp. We cut defensive end Hamakar Rashad, who was last year's undrafted free agent. We also cut Parker Ferguson, another undrafted free agent tackle. And uh, we just recently cut wide receiver Keyshawn Abram to make sure that we could make room for Dwayne Brown. So then today... On the 16th, the Jets had to get the roster down from 90 to 85 players. They had to make five more moves. The first one was putting Mekhi Becton officially on season-ending IR. So that saved one spot. They had to cut four more. So they cut defensive back Luke Barku, offensive lineman Derek Kelly, defensive end Tim Ward, who actually played for the Jets a bit last year, and then wide receiver Rashard Davis. Uh, The next cuts from 85 to 80 are going to be next Tuesday, the 23rd at 4 p.m. And then after that, the next one is the final cutdowns on the 30th. That's when the Jets will uh, officially be at 53 men. So that's the news and notes around the team right now. Um, I guess the next thing that we have to do is a father time because I did get a submission from my awesome dad this week. He uh, hasn't done one in a long time since May, so he's a little rusty. But he got one in. He was excited about it. And uh, without further ado, this is this week's father time, written by my dad, David Burnham. Here we go. I was feeling good about the lack of injuries in training camp. Compared to last year, there were virtually no big injuries. I even went as far as to say it out loud. And for that, I'm sorry. Because Makai Becton, our ultra-important young left tackle, went down for the season a couple hours later. For that, I take partial responsibility. Now, with the signing of Dwayne Brown, are we made whole for the short term, though? Unfortunately, we're not. A healthy Becton with his size and power next to the agile AVT cannot be matched by this new repositioned and revamped group. But let's be real about this. The Jets were looking to sign Brown before Becton went down, and the preliminary conversations were already had. So we will move forward with an average offensive line instead of a top eight group. I'm in the camp where I believe Zach will be fine, but something tells me that Joe Flacco will be starting against his old team at MetLife Week 1. Giving Zach an extra week and giving Flacco the opportunity and incentive to put the hammer down on his old team But my expectation is that Zach will be back for week two. And last, Zach should get used to wearing braces on his knees for the rest of his career. 
Now, a couple of quick notes from the Week 1 Eagles game. Number 72, Mr. Michael Clemens is going forward, looking really good. And Max Mitchell has potential. 75% is untapped, but he could turn into a good tackle. Time will tell. And what about Quincy Williams' hit on Jalen Hurts? Yuck. We'll just call it all gas, no brakes, and no steering. It seems like forever, but real football is getting closer. Go Jets. End scene. Whoa. All right, so, yeah. We can unpack this here. It's right where we left off in May. The last time he was talking about those two big important players for the offense, if we want to see that offense really thrive this year, what's it going to come down to? Boom, number one, Zach Wilson. Hurt, talking about that. Number two, Mekhi Becton. Boom, hurt, talking about that. My dad's taking partial responsibility because he's getting uh, positive vibes, talking about how everybody's getting healthy, all is good, can't believe it. And then right after that, Mekhi goes down. Boom, it's not his fault. Mekhi Becton's a huge dude. He hasn't proven that he can operate getting older in that body. He's not a kid anymore, right? When he played at Louisville, he was a kid. He's becoming a man now. Your body kind of changes. Mine did. A lot of people's do. Zach Wilson got beefier, thicker. It's that age, like from 20 to 23, you're still changing a little bit. And you still get, like, that man body. And I think that it's not working for him, unfortunately. 365 pounds doesn't happen easily. It's not easy to move around and have constant pressure on your knees, blast it up against other people. And I worry for him. Um, my dad's absolutely right. This is a, a bummer. Are we as good as we would have been with Mackay Becton now that we have Dwayne Brown? No. We could have been a top eight group. I agree with him. If Mackay played all season and the guys were healthy, that's not going to happen anymore. Dwayne Brown will be serviceable, but he will not be awesome. He'll probably be a step worse than Morgan Moses was last year. Probably a step worse than like George Fant. We didn't get some elite tackle. Oh my gosh. Yeah, he's a five-time Pro Bowler. You play for 15 years, you know, you're probably going to be kind of a pro bowler at times, right? It's just like voted on by the fans. People start to know your name. He was drafted, Dwayne Brown, the same year as Dustin Keller and Vernon Golston and Dwight Lowry, 28, uh, 2008. That's nuts. He was a first-round pick from the Texans. He survived this long. He's a good player. He's getting older. He'll do a fine job, way better than putting a young guy in. There's going to be a turnstile and totally screw your quarterback, but let's not act like we're on pace to be a top-eight group anymore. Dad is right. I love that line, all gas, no brakes, and no steering from Quincy Williams, who, uh, yeah, just rocked Jalen Hurts out of bounds, like three yards out, hits him helmet to helmet, head down. Nick Sirianni is absolutely fuming, yelling at Salah. Made us look like kind of douchebags, honestly, just like, oh, my God, are we that team, that undisciplined shit team that's just like, we don't even think, we just go out there and smash, truly, all gas, no brakes. I don't think we are. I think Quincy Williams... We've talked about it on this podcast. I think he could be a good player. The one thing is he's raw, and he doesn't make the right mental decisions all the time, and that's like the big thing that's stopping him from being a better player, a real true starter in my mind. I think he's on the fringe, and if he can get that mental side down, he could be a starter. But right now he's like in that in-between where he's going to make great plays, he's going to blow some people up, and he's going to make some really stupid decisions where you're just like, dude, why weren't you in coverage there? You didn't cover this guy. Or like, why did you hit that guy late? Got to be smarter. Robert Sala said the same thing after the game, called it egregiously awful. We all agree. Hopefully that uh, is out of his system now and he's learned from the mistake. Max Mitchell, got potential. Love that comment. Michael Clemens, I think we're all equally scared and excited about that guy because he's going to be a nice, nice piece for that defensive line rotation. So thank you, Dad. Awesome father time. Really appreciate it, as always. That is what we got this week. Now, before we go back to the podcast, we do have to take a quick commercial break. 
Alrighty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. We are going to keep on chugging along, talking about the preseason game where the Jets beat the Eagles in Philadelphia 24-21. to And everybody will tell you that preseason scores and final outcomes do not matter, but I will tell you that I sat on that couch knowing that Zach Wilson's season was potentially in jeopardy, and I was still hoping the Jets would win this game. And when they came back and they won it, I did feel true joy. It really existed within me. So you can't tell me that it didn't matter at all. It mattered to me. mattered to some of the players. Some of the fan base, perhaps. Not very many people. But it's exciting to win. And to go back and, and win 16 seconds left in the game, throw a game-winning touchdown. Just like last year, Kenny Yaboa getting a Hail Mary touchdown to win the game. It's cool. I'd rather win than lose anytime I watch. You don't watch the Jets win enough football games and lead those game-winning drives enough for me to just be like, oh, this doesn't mean anything. It's like it's just a nice thing to see. Even if I don't know every single player, who I've never seen Chris Traveller throw a pass in my life, but still, to see him go out there and win like that, he's wearing the Jets jersey, so I'm happy about it. So the Jets win, but they started slow. All eyes were on Zach Wilson coming in because it's all about him and his growth this season. Starts the game, interception to Kaiser White, not good. Then he goes, gets injured. Damn. Meanwhile, the defense can't stop anything. Can't stop a nosebleed, as Bart Scott once said. They are ripping apart our zone defense. It looks just like last year. Now, keep in mind, the Jets haven't game-planned against Jalen Hurts or the Eagles for this game. They're just trying their defense. But their defense is a very soft zone that leaves people open. And the Eagles, they knew where they were going to go with the ball before the ball was even snapped on some of these plays, just knowing exactly where the soft spot would be. They purposefully got Bryce Hall and Jordan Whitehead caught in a tough spot where Dallas Goddard could get a touchdown. It was not going well early on. Eagles jump off to a 14-0 lead until finally Joe Flacco's not playing in this game. Mike White comes in. He leads a uh, quick little drive to get Panero in field goal range, 26-yard field goal. That was the second drive um, when Mike White filled in for Zach Wilson. So now it's 14-3. It stays that way after a couple more bad series, goes to the half. And then uh, the Jets... Time for them to make a little noise, right? Mike White comes in. He leads a 46-yard touchdown drive that was capped off by a bam night two-yard touchdown run where it was like a second effort. Looked like he was stopped short of the line. Put that extra effort in, got across. Dan Feeney gave him an extra little push. Good to see that. Just got a bunch of sacks. Really made those Eagles quarterbacks suck, struggle, and uh, and not look so good out there. Chris Traveller came in. His first drive, quick three and out. After that, back-to-back touchdown drives. First one, Jeremy Rucker, nice little pass. Good to see Jeremy Rucker back out there playing. The Eagles scored in between Chris Traveller's two touchdown drives. Jets get the ball with a minute 40 left. Bam Knight, big kickoff return, 47 yards to get the Jets way downfield. And uh, Chris Traveller, 16 seconds left, hits Calvin Jackson, corner of the end zone, to give the Jets the 24-21 to lead. After an Eagles fumble, the game is over. The New York Jets win. So, not great play from Zach Wilson. Not great play from the starting defense. Didn't get to see Joe Flacco. Not amazing play from Mike White by any stretch, but really good play from Chris Traveller. Some of those defensive line guys, especially deeper in that rotation. Some uh, good heart from the Jets. Some, you could see the skill position players. There were like, I think it was like 13, 14 players got receptions or carries in this game and got the ball in their hands. We got to see a lot of different guys play. And there's there's ballers on this team. There's dudes that you know will definitely be starters and will be looking really good for us, and there's some guys in the back end that will be put onto the practice squad and potentially can make some noise on our roster or another roster. And I was excited to see 
a little bit of juice from all those units. So that's kind of the recap of the game. Doesn't matter that we won, but we did, so that's cool. Players feel a little bit better going home. Zach Wilson, he's got to get right. Not a lot of other serious injuries in this game, which is good. I mean, the most important player, Zach Wilson, you know, obviously that sucks. That's as bad as it could be. But there weren't, like, a handful of injuries, a bunch of Jets getting carted off. That was a good thing to see. And, uh, you know, escape to the win. So that is kind of a recap of the game. I want to close this podcast out uh, for this last segment, just talking about each position group and where we're at right now. Just like overall what the quarterbacks are doing, wide receivers and all the way down through special teams. Just to kind of update on training camps plus what they did in the preseason game, if that's important or what the roster is looking like, who's going to make, you know, just going through each position, kind of giving up an idea of what I think about each group and then why I think it. So we are going to begin that on offense. First position is quarterback. And quarterback, when I looked at that room, the one word that came to mind was hopeful. I'm hopeful about this room for so many reasons. I think Zach Wilson, I'm hopeful that he can have year two growth and with the weapons around him, another year in the system, playing a second year under Michael Floor and, and just knowing the NFL better, I am hopeful that he can be better this year. I'm hopeful that he can come back quickly and play soon. I also have hope in a guy like Joe Flacco, who is a journeyman at this point in his career, but is absolutely capable of starting a game for the Jets against his former team in the Ravens. I feel like that could be the perfect storm for him to come out and play a great game. I'm hopeful in Mike White to be back. There's the third-string quarterback and actually be somewhat competent. And then Chris Traveller to push him and maybe even take his job if he can keep playing really, really well in preseason. So when you look at this group, I'm hopeful for it. I'm not confident. I don't feel like any one of these guys is a guaranteed good quarterback. I don't feel like we're going to win games because any one of these guys is going to put on amazing performances each week. But I do feel like they have the ability to do it. I just hope we see it. Talking about the running backs, this this group is as good as I'd hoped. It's as good as I'd hoped because we knew that Michael Carter was absolutely a good running back. Not a bell cow, getting to get every single carry for a team, but like better than a Bilal Powell had been. Better than one of those like other guys that we've had on our roster who've been good running backs. He's like a notch better than those guys. All right, this is a real player. Then they go out and they draft Brees Hall, who was the best running back in the draft. Absolutely hands down. So good. Crushed it for Iowa, and uh, he's potentially going to be the number one back or 1A, 1B with Michael Carter. So right away, boom, we knew that was going to be good. But then you had to figure out whether you were going to use Tevin Coleman or Michael Pirine. Was he going to be any good or or undrafted free agents or something? When it comes down to it, I think that Michael Carter and Brees Hall show through training camp and everything that they're going to be as advertised. But then behind them, Tevin Coleman was probably projected to be the third running back. Ty Johnson was in the mix as well. But you're seeing LaMichael Pirine in this game against the Eagles. 10 carries for 51 yards, the long of 14. He was the most efficient running back on the roster. The guy can also block. The guy can also catch. I thought he was a dark horse to make this team, even though a lot of people are down on him. thought he played well in this game. I think he shows, like, okay, a little bit of fight there. He might be a guy that's worth stashing. And then Bam Knight, the undrafted free agent that I've been really excited about for a while, this guy played awesome. He had the touchdown run with the second effort even though the stats have him at, like, you know, three yards of carry, not super efficient. Keep in mind, a lot of that comes down to trenches just swarming and just piles of bodies of backup tackles and defensive linemen. It's just a mess. Not a great opportunity to really get holes and run through a a defense and everything, but the second effort was all him. And then in kicking return, to see him get that huge 50-yarder 
I mean, special teams is definitely something that your fourth running back, third or fourth running back you'd like to see. I think that if Bam Knight can do it better than Tevin Coleman on special teams, I think you're looking at guys like Ty Johnson and Tevin Coleman potentially being on the way out and keeping a LaMichael Pirine and keeping a Bam Knight. That's how I feel right now looking at this roster. I would keep those four guys, Hall, Carter, Pirine, and Knight. And I would cut Coleman, and I would cut Johnson. Now, those two guys haven't been healthy, so it's not fair to say they haven't had a chance out there to, to prove themselves. But I'm just feeling really good about that back that back half. Better than I felt in years past about the guys we had back there. So overall, that running back room, which is going to be so freaking important for this team because you're going to be either having a, you know, unconfident coming back Zach Wilson or an old stoic statue Joe Flacco or Mike White. Like, we're going to need to hand this ball off. We're going to have to get this offense clicking, and it's not going to be resting on the shoulders of a quarterback alone. It's going to be built on the run, and then the quarterback will do some play action stuff, get the ball quick timing throws, get it to yak receivers who can get extra yardage. That's kind of how we'd like this offense to run. So to see that running back group looking really good, I am very, very excited. Looking at the wide receiver group, this one, this one's pretty exciting as well. I considered it a group showing real ability with the starters and a legit battle in the back. It's kind of similar to what we have with the running backs because I think when you look at Corey Davis, I'm not worried about him, great player. Braxton Berrios, I'm not worried about him, great player. But then you look at, like, Garrett Wilson, who's coming in and actually looked really good in this game. He got two catches for 25 yards. He was smooth. You can see a fluidity in his game that the Jets haven't had in a receiver in a long time. He's just like a natural mover. His body just moves naturally. He catches naturally. That's why he's a good wide receiver, because he's just got that, like, ability, that smoothness. And he was a top 10 pick for a reason. If he can catch the ball and stay consistent, he's going to be really, really good. And uh, we saw a little bit of that on display here. So you feel like really good. Okay, we already had Barrios and Davis who we were confident in. Now you have Garrett Wilson who looks like he's going to be the part. And then Elijah Moore coming into year two who was absolutely starting to blow people away last year with his ability. And he's still there working hard, getting better every single practice. I feel really good about that top four. Then you look on the back half and you got guys like Denzel Mims fighting for a spot who when he gets thrown the ball, he still makes nice catches. I believe in him. You got a Jeff Smith who is potentially going to be a guy fighting for a roster spot as well. But you're seeing some stuff in training camp from Irvin Charles. You saw a game-winning catch from Calvin Jackson. You saw a nice catch from Rashard Davis that was tipped up at the end of the game when the Jets needed a score at the end of the drive. And the throw from Stravella was tipped, and he kind of like fell on his butt but reached forward and caught it. Just nice plays to see. So overall, a good group there. I know the back half guys that I mentioned, they won't make the roster, but to have them in there competing, pushing other guys, I think it's a better group than we've had in the past. The next group, tight end. The tight end group is the best tight end group the Jets have had in the past decade plus. This is, the Jets have had historically good tight ends. Um, Dustin Keller was the most recent good tight end, but they had some good guys back in the day. This is one of their best positions as a team. And right now, it's poised for a great season. It's a position that's kind of been not utilized by the Jets for a while. There were like seasons in the past six, seven years that they had like the lowest tight end output in the entire NFL. Those days are over. Tyler Conklin is the fastest ascending player on this entire team. When he came over with CJ Uzama, it was like, all right, not sure exactly which one's going to be the first tight end or who's going to get more targets. My guess would be Conklin because he's younger, but CJ Uzama is also really good. Since training camp started, Tyler Conklin day in, day out has been one of the best players on the field. 
It was no different in the preseason game where he had three catches for over 20 yards. Just getting involved early, putting the shoulder down, looking big, getting an extra yard or two every single time, moving smooth with the ball in his hands. This guy's going to be a legitimate, true tight end. He's got the size, the power, the fluidity, the hands, the blocking, the grit to play the position very, very well. And he's doing it at all levels. I think he's better than we expected him to be. CJ Uzama, he's going to be just fine. He's an older veteran that knows exactly what he's doing, and he's a great leader. So now you got those two guys, boom, feeling really good. Jeremy Ruckert, a guy from Ohio State that I really wanted drafted, comes to the Jets. He was banged up at first, a little bit of a foot injury, but now he's playing, getting comfortable, scoring a touchdown in this game. You can see him learning right before your eyes, learning fast, getting ready. You got three guys right there feel really good about. I think every single one of them is better than Daniel Brown, Ryan Griffin, you know, the the top two are definitely better than Tyler Croft. So this team is moving in the right direction right there. It's feeling really good. Then you got guys in the back half, a Wesco, who kind of intrigues the team because he can do a little bit of everything. Pretty good at blocking, play some special teams. The guys seem to really like him. You got Kenny Yaboa, who has promise. He's made a couple big plays in the preseasons and training camps. Was here last year, getting better, refining that position. And then Lawrence Cager, who is a converted wide receiver that I absolutely did not have the time for this project for. I'm just like, this is a joke to even have this guy. This never works out. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside already failed with the Eagles doing this. Took him like, you know, three weeks, switch positions, go to tight end, boom, you suck, out. Welcome to another team. I thought the same thing was destined for Cager. I don't know how well he's playing tight end, per se, because tight end, a lot of times you're an inline blocker, you're playing goal line, you're playing special teams, a lot of extra stuff that goes into it. Wasn't able to see all of it in this game. But he led the team in receiving yards with 40 yards, two catches, and, you know, his presence was felt. I didn't think we'd really feel his presence. I thought he was never going to do anything at this position. But at least as a receiving tight end, he led the team in receiving yards. So his uh, his arrow is pointing up, I suppose. And we have to keep seeing what he's got. So we know we've got three good tight ends. We'll see what those back three guys, which one uh, sticks on the roster, if any of them. Maybe none of them do. Next group, offensive line. The offensive line is moving pieces, not as solidified as we wanted. It's moving pieces because we originally had an offensive line last year that was supposed to be pretty good. It was like Joe Douglas's big work of art, drafting Elijah Barrett Tucker, drafting Mekhi Becton. We thought we had a really nice thing going, signing that Connor McGovern contract and everything. Everything kind of got flipped upside down. Um, injuries and, and big signings. The Jets were able to make a big free agent splash signing in Lake and Tomlinson, which was nice. But he plays left guard primarily, and he is like the you know more established veteran. So the Jets move him to the left side. That means Elijah Bear Tucker, he's got to move to the right side. Now that you've got the guy that used to be next to Mekhi Becton, if he were to play um, on the right side, and you've got George Fant, who played left tackle in place of Mekhi Becton last year, who had a really good year at that position, you want to move him to left tackle, so then you move Mekhi Becton over to right tackle, but then Mekhi Becton goes down, so you have to swap George Fant back to right tackle because Dwayne Brown is now signed and only plays left tackle. So you've got a brand-new left tackle this year, a brand-new left guard this year, a brand-new right guard who hasn't played right guard in the NFL yet, and George Fant is back at right tackle, which he did not play last year. So the players' names overall, when you hear Dwayne Brown, Lakin Tomlinson, AVT, and George Fant, those are good names. You feel good about it overall, a solid group. But when you see where they're lined up and the Jets' chemistry within that group and in this offense, not quite there yet. So we know it's got the capability of being good because these are real players, 
but we haven't seen it in action yet. You know, there was Chuma Adoga and Max Mitchell, and it wasn't uh, the finished product by any means, but it's definitely not a solidified group yet. It is currently moving. It is currently trying to get solidified as soon as possible, but right now it's a work in progress, and it's Joe Douglas and this offense's job to make sure it works, especially if you've got a banged-up Zach Wilson or a Joe Flacco coming in for a spot start. You've got to get this offensive line right quick and early. Keep them healthy. Get them ready to play these new positions. Get some chemistry. Can't have bad penalties early in the season, losing games because of that. We can't have uh, miscommunications and letting guys through. Clear runs on our quarterback. Can't have that. They got a lot of work to do. Offensive line is a very difficult position, and uh, I don't envy them having to do this right now. Figure it out. You got three weeks before we play a game. Good luck. That's what we got for the offense, though. Overall, you feel pretty good. A lot of hope. At least the position skill groups are looking good right now, and at least there's the ability for the quarterback group and the offensive line to come together. So, you know, the arrow pointing up and the ceiling is high for this offense. The floor is also extremely low. And a couple injuries or lack of progression or regression from anybody and tough schedule and stuff could make this offense look really, really bad very easily. We're hoping that's not the case, but only time will tell. So before we go over to the defensive side of the ball, I do want to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little what's on tap. That is right, folks. This is what's on tap. And I'm drinking something great. A tried and true, delicious classic. I've done it on this podcast before. And I don't even care because it makes sense. And I needed a little bit of Jets positivity today. We find out that Zach Wilson doesn't have a serious injury. I guess that's positive, even though he's injured. The Jets did win a preseason game. That was cool. Team's trending up. Joe Flacco looked really, really good in practice today. He was absolutely crushing it through four touchdowns. Sacked a couple times, but playing that D-line, what do you expect? So today, I am drinking green by Treehouse. Color of the Jets. Favorite color in the world. A delicious IPA. from One of the best breweries in the entire world. Treehouse Brewing. Absolutely rocks. If you can ever make the trip up to Massachusetts, if you haven't had it before, and you like IPAs, there's nothing better. You can't find them in the stores. They're not distributed out. you got to go up to the place where it's sometimes a big line. Get a big box. It's pretty expensive to get them and everything, but they are so freaking good. And if you look at any sort of, like, beer rating website... They're consistently some of the highest-rated beers that you can find anywhere, one after another. And they all have a delicious treehouse flavor that you can just tell. Green is no different. It is absolutely a uh, it's a staple of theirs. It's one of their classic beers. I like it because it's similar to some of their other stuff, like a Julius, but it's a little bit more bitter, and I kind of like the bitterness in it. And I love the color, of course, that it's green. And 7.5% alcohol is a little bit better for me because they have a few that are really good. I have a couple in the fridge, like a Haze and a King Julius, which are some of their beers that are like 8.2% or higher, which I know when you hear it like 0.7%, what's the difference between 8.2 and 7.5? I don't know what it is. Somewhere in that 0.7% is like where I go from pretty sober to not that sober. And 7.5s are smooth, easy drinkers for me. 8.2s, I'm rocked way too quick. My ideal world is like 6.8. It's like where I'd love to just exist at 6.8% all the time. If I can find those, that's my my sweet spot. But 7.5 is good. This is a great beer. Picked up by roommate Kyle like, I don't know, maybe a month ago. I think one of his coworkers was going up there and asked if he wanted him to uh, pick anything up. He took an order for me too. 
I was able to get some delicious treehouse beers to close out my summer, to watch a little bit of football, to record podcasts with, and freaking rocks. You can't beat it. You absolutely can't. It's uh, just unfortunately getting pretty close to wedding day, and this thing's probably, if I was guessing, like 400 calories and the equivalent of eating like a cheeseburger. So that's okay. I'll have a salad for dinner or something. Anyways, that is today's What's on Tap. And now, before we continue, we do have to take a quick commercial break. Alrighty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. We are now going to talk about the defensive units, the position groups, and where they're kind of at, in my opinion, at this point in the season and training camp. So, defensive line, this one, this group is really good to me. This is a crazy group. We talked about it last episode. There are so many freaking guys in this group. There's like 13, 14 guys that could legitimately make this roster. But we probably will go with like 10. And if we put some on the practice squad, they're probably going to get scooped up. And a lot of guys that we cut probably will get scooped up because we have such a deep defensive line. And it's crazy because we don't have a great run defense. We've got all these guys, all these names. Still, we have no history of really getting after the passer. We don't really have, on paper, a good run defense. So how do we have such a good unit? I think that somehow this group is going to come together because they're going to take the best 9 to 11 players from this group and put them on the field. I think they're going to surprise some people. I think we're going to get way more pressure on the quarterback and stop the run way more than people expect. The problem is the rest of the defense kind of leaves a lot of openings for a quick, short passing game that uh, will be somewhat difficult to handle if the guys can't play tighter zone. Um, The defense isn't great for this, but... Basically, the Jets' defense mantra, the whole thing is about as many plays for the opposite offense to play against you to get down the field, hoping that a big splash play or turnover or penalty will end the drive. So the idea is no big plays. If we could make them do 15-yard, 70-yard, 15-play, 70-yard drives time in, time out, right? Somewhere along that, they're probably going to have a big penalty, give up a sack, throw an interception, have a fumble, something that will derail it. So they can pick up five yards, five yards, five yards, five yards, as long as we can get, oh, all of a sudden they get a big bad play, holding. Now five yards doesn't do it. And if the Jets can stop the big plays, that's how the defense is supposed to kind of work. Obviously, you're not trying to give up five yards. You're not trying to, you know, be a bend-don't-break defense necessarily. You'd like to stop them on first, second, and third down. But every single defense has a weakness, and our weakness is kind of stopping small plays, which makes it very difficult. But it makes it more important to stop the run when they do run on first down or second down. If you give up four or five yards, now you're like right in position to just keep that drive going. But if you can give up no yards or a negative yardage play there on a run, now you're in great shape. So that's going to be really important for this unit. Getting after the quarterback, getting those sacks on third down, those big negative yardage plays that the Jets potentially can get. I see it working better because, for example, defensive tackle is kind of the weakness of this group. But... Quinn and Williams, from what I saw in preseason, chasing Jalen Hurts on the very first play of the game, I think that was the first pass that he had, chasing him, running really quick, step for step with him, and then a couple other plays in the game in his limited amount of time. He looks as good as he's looked in a long time, and that kind of just mirrors what I've been hearing from camp, that he's having an awesome camp. Now, he's been injured for the last couple of years, just banged up, came into camp last year, not 100% healthy, didn't actually play in training camp, and then was kind of working his way in, said he never got 100% comfortable not playing 100% healthy, right, didn't have all that time. But now he is getting in there, getting that training camp reps in. Uh, one Jets drive, we see him doing extra work at practice against Lake and Tomlinson, trying to get better, trying to improve his craft, be the best he can be. 
And I think we are going to get the best Quinn and Williams we were ever going to get this year. I think this is this is it for him. This is going to be his best season as a Jet so far. All signs are pointing towards him. Stay healthy, of course. So that makes you feel a little bit better about that position. Then you've got those guys like Solomon Thomas, maybe not looking so good. Sheldon Rankins, eh, not exactly sure. Jonathan Marshall, hopefully he progresses. I think he's playing okay. John Franklin Myers can potentially shift inside to play defensive tackle. He's a good player. We haven't seen how that's going to be used yet. But Tanzel Smart, a defensive tackle who's been kind of in the mix with the Jets for a long time. He's been on the roster a little bit towards the end of the year. He's kind of been like a practice squad guy, training camp body, but has had some games with the Jets. He's actually a pretty good player, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him make the roster. He had two sacks in this game against the Eagles. I think he's a pretty good run defender. He actually makes decent plays. There's a lot of stuff that makes you think that he could be one of the better defensive tackles on the team. Maybe you don't keep Sheldon Rankins. Maybe you don't keep Solomon Thomas or Nathan Shepard. Tanzel Smart makes the roster. You've got an improved group there. Jonathan Marshall maybe progresses. I like what we're seeing. And then everything you hear in camp about Carl Lawson, the way he's playing, Jermaine Johnson, the way he's playing, you feel really good. Jacob Martin's having a great camp as well. Across the board, you see these pass rushers just getting after Zach Wilson, getting after Joe Flacco. And even though our offensive line is a work in progress, it's still a decent enough group to beat Elijah Vera Tucker on a play, to beat Lakin Tomlinson or George Fant. It still requires, you know, a certain level of skill, and these guys are showing it. I love this defensive line. I'm uh, I'm really hopeful for it. I really think it can be something special. They just have to stop the run, and they have to uh, let the defense play long enough to get the pass rushers at the quarterback. But good defensive line group, very good. Deep rotation with solid options. Looking at the linebacking group, I think we got a long way to go. I am not there with this linebacking group. I think that Quincy Williams is exactly what I worried he'd be. A good, talented, physical freak that doesn't quite have everything going on up in his head that needs to be working right. He's still a work in progress. Quan Alexander, we'll see what he can bring. I don't have huge hopes for him. There's a reason that he was available. He's not like a top linebacker in the league anymore at this point in his career. He's kind of just like a, yeah, he's a serviceable guy that's played some big minutes. So we'll see uh, how he helps. C.J. Mosley, he can't do it all himself, but he might be asked to because these other guys like Jamie and Sherwood and Hamza Nasraldine and maybe trying to get Kainakua in there, Marcel Harris, I just don't see any sort of consistency or a guy that's going to help us to stop those short zone plays. I just don't trust. I just consistently can see Jamie and Sherwood and Nasraldine and the zones around those players, you know, They're converted safeties because they're supposed to be fast and able to cover in those zones, but they don't seem fast. They don't have quick jumps on the ball. They don't have that instinct and that just like, boom, ball is thrown, let's get after it. It's missing from their game right now, and maybe it'll come, but if it doesn't, we're going to be picked apart in that zone defense. Like, it's just, it starts right there at the linebackers for the quick passes to the tight ends. When you pass the guy off, they just remind me of players that'll pass off their zones way too early not pursue a guy as quickly as they should. We'll leave a player wide open, maybe fall for a jump step. It's a, it's a work in progress, and they have a long way to go, in my opinion. We're relying a lot on C.J. Mosley to be awesome, the defensive front up front to be better, and then a guy like Quan Alexander to play good football, maybe Quincy Williams to just refine his skill a little bit, or one of these other guys, Marcel Harris, Delshawn Phillips, Nazrul Dean, or Sherwood to step up and just, like, take that plunge. But 
if you have an injury to like CJ Mosley or something, it's shot. Like that group is just so bad. It's not going to be good to hold its own in this type of defense. It's it's a big ask. And uh, I don't know. I, I probably shouldn't have been so hard on Delshawn Phillips because I think he's a pretty good player. I think that his ceiling is just minimal. You know, he led the team in tackles in this game. He kind of reminds me of like a Neville Hewitt, where it's like if he's on the field, he'll play pretty good football but he's never going to wow you or take that next step to get better than that. It's just like, it is what you get. I'm not going to cover a ton of people, but if a guy comes near me, I'll get there and I'll tackle him pretty well. So I do like what he brings, but he's not a starter. He's like a special team guy that can fill in at the back half of the season. The season's lost or players go down and stuff. He can do some spot starts, just not a starting guy for this team probably. So now talking defensive backfield, cornerbacks and the safeties, I got soft zone, maybe the death of us. When you look at the group overall, love the players. Sauce Gardner against the Eagles played 11 coverage snaps, zero targets thrown on him. Very similar to college, just didn't throw that way. If he was guarding A.J. Brown, if he was guarding Devontae Smith, they decided to throw to Quez Watkins, they decided to throw to Zach Pascal. It wasn't thrown to Sauce Gardner. Great, okay, he's doing his job. DJ Reed's banged up. He was banged up for this game, didn't play. He's now back to being healthy. You got guys like Bryce Hall, who's potentially going to play and is actually having a pretty good training camp, but isn't super fast and is kind of a worry for the soft zone um, because he doesn't cover a lot of ground. He doesn't have super long arms and not a super freak athlete. The guy that is, Brandon Eccles, he's a little banged up. So we didn't necessarily see our best grouping out there, but when you saw the miscommunication on some of the zones between you know, Bryce Hall and Jordan Whitehead, early in the season and stuff, you just saw hints of last year exactly where it was because it's like it almost made you feel like it's not the players, it's the scheme. Unless the players are so freaking freakish that they're rushing after that quarterback, they're beating their man off the line, or they're playing like crazy catch-up, the zone is open, and then a guy jumps through and dives, and then they make a quarterback feel like, whoa, I thought they were open, but they weren't. I got to be nervous. These guys can make big plays like that, yeah, maybe. But there's a chance that there's just like spots in this defense that are just waiting to be exploited. And teams that are going up against us will notice that and do it. Now, you got to get guys like DJ Reed. You got to get Brandon Eccles healthy. Hopefully, Sauce Gardner continues the way he's been playing. And then safety's got a lot of work to go because Jordan Whitehead is going to be good. He's going to be just fine. Communication's going to have to be there and everything, but he's a young, ascending player. Opposite of him, you don't want to play Ashton Davis again. His pursuit angles are horrible. He hasn't proven that he's learned enough to play that vital position in this defense yet. You've got Will Parks playing to start the game. You've got Elijah Riley, who played a little bit last year, coming in after him. LaMarcus Joyner, MIA. You have, uh, he's a little banged up, and he's coming off the injury last year, and he's older. Again, this is one of those positions like linebacker that's like, man, if we lose a safety, like if Jordan Whitehead goes down, you're playing something like Will Parks and Ashton Davis or Elijah Riley and Lamar, like, it is not a good grouping there. And this zone, you really have to be quick to it. You got to fill it fast. You got to hit the guys. And if you don't, it's very, very easy for an offense to pick you apart, especially if they get in a rhythm and they see it because you're throwing basically the same thing at it over and over. It's not a super complicated defense the Jets run. It's beat your man, don't give up a big play, cover your zone. And I just worry about it. It was tough to watch last year. I knew it would be. It's going to be tough to watch this year, but. Some really good individual performances or an overall team chemistry coming together. Either of those two things could take it to the next level. Now, lastly, special teams. And special teams is 
Better than last year. Better kicking, just as good returning. Last year, the kicking was a mess. Panero came in at the end and salvaged the season with good kicking. This year, you've got a nice battle between Panero and Zerline. Both guys are kicking well in preseason. Both guys are kicking well in training camp. You feel like if either one of these guys wins the job, they earned it and they're a real kicker. It's not just like, oh, we had Chris Nagar and Sam Ficken battling it out with Matt Amendola. Just like you're, you're choosing just to have a weird guy win. And if this guy wins, okay, he didn't win because he's the best kicker. He won just because, like, the other guys suck. In this situation, it's two guys that are doing really well. And whoever wins, I'll have confidence in. Something I couldn't say about the kicking team in a long time, really. Punter, I feel great about Braden Mann. He made another coverage tackle. That guy's a badass. Kick returning, Berrios, he had a return. Looked just like last year. It was like a 37-yard return. Looked great. Super, super comfortable with him there. And then seeing Bam Knight come in, have that big 47-yarder at the end of the game, and uh, put the Jets in a great position to end up actually winning the game off of that return. Like, he's in the mix, too. I feel really good about the kicking now. Punting, I've always felt good about with Braden Mann there. Feel really good about the return game. One of the best in the league with Barrios. Now potentially Bam Knight in the mix. I like the special teams. Good group. That's what I got. Offense, defense, special teams. Keep in mind, it's August 16th. We've played one preseason game. We got a long way to go. We got a lot of cuts to come. We're going to be following it. And basically what's going to happen from here on out is the Jets are going to play a game against the Atlanta Falcons on Monday. I think that's an ESPN game, so primetime game for the Jets. They got one in the regular season. They get a primetime game here in preseason against the Falcons. No Zach Wilson, of course, but we'll see what they can put together there. There will be a couple joint practices with the Falcons beforehand. Then we're going to have the Giants game the following Sunday at 1 p.m. That one will be on NFL Network, so that should be kind of like a pre uh, primetime game as well. So, yeah, again, like we didn't get treated very well with primetime games during the regular season. Probably for the better. Playing at 1 o'clock is nice. But uh, we did get a couple nice spots in preseason here, so fans will at least be able to see those. But uh, I believe there's going to be a joint practice with the Giants before that. I will be at the Jets-Giants preseason game. I'll be in, uh, I don't know, probably one of the yellow or green lots. So if you want to meet up, just message me on Twitter or something. Direct message me. We can uh, meet up, have a drink or something before the game. I'll be there with a good group of guys getting ready for an awesome showing from the Jets, of course. The next podcast is going to come following the Giants preseason game on that Tuesday, August 30th, which should be about an hour and a half after the final roster cuts. So the cuts are due by 4 p.m. on the 30th, that Tuesday. Typically, they take an hour, maybe two hours to come out. It's probably going to be an instant live reaction to the roster because if it's like last year, I'm going to be waiting for it to come out, and then right when it does, I'm going to hit record, and we're going to talk about the 53 guys that made the roster, who didn't make it, why they didn't, why the guys that did make it did, and then start preparing for that Ravens game. Then from there, right, it's the 30th. Jets will be playing a real football game on the 11th. So it's flying by. I'm not going to do a podcast following the Falcons week just because I want more content. Um, Unless something crazy happens, maybe if uh, some ridiculous transaction or injury occurs that, like, totally shakes up the entire franchise, maybe I'll do one in between. But I think I'll probably just hope that nothing happens in training camp. It's very quiet, just methodical, going through practices. And then we can kind of recap uh, what we saw in the Falcons and Giants game and why it led us to that brand new 53-man roster. So it should be pretty good. I appreciate you guys joining me for this episode. And as always, follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. 
rate, review, subscribe to the podcast if you could. It's always appreciated, and it's all I got for you. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 